Today's episode of Down with Joe DeRosa is being brought to you by Eddie Ift. Joe has a girlfriend. No, I don't. Welcome to the show, Down with Joe DeRosa. One topic, one hour, one guest. That's right. We got a guest again this week. I know we haven't been doing that a lot lately, but I've been traveling. I've been on the road, and my path is crossing with certain comedians as I am out here trying to pursue a successful career as a comedian, which brings me to the topic for today. Success. That's what we're talking about. Everybody's after it. Everybody wants it. How far are you willing to go to get it? And are those measures worthwhile? Is it okay to sink a little bit so you can eventually rise? Is it okay to be a little bit of a piece of shit so you can have just a touch of that golden sparkle, just a little shimmer? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think I know. It's probably wrong to be a piece of shit, but I know so many pieces of shit at this point that uh, you know, I think maybe it's it's not so bad. So let's figure it all out today. We're going to be talking about it. We're going to be working through it. We're going to be analyzing it. And my guest is here. Let me let me introduce him right now. Uh, you know him from his several comedy CDs. He also had a, a Showtime comedy special and a Comedy Central comedy special. Check these things out if you haven't seen them yet because they're quite funny, as is he. Uh, he is quite funny. Uh, he tours the world for a reason. Uh, his comedy as a stand-up, is in high demand quite, I guess, uh, everywhere that you could possibly find uh, a comedic stage. This man is being booked. Uh, his also, he's also uh, immensely, uh, well, what am I trying to say, Eddie? Your, your podcast is immensely popular is what I'm trying to say. Talking Shit is the podcast. Check it out. It's one of the biggest ones out there, uh, speaking of success. And also his upcoming show, The Bingle Show, uh, keep an eye out for that. It's going to be out on YouTube, uh, and, which is actually uh, the product of a very successful Kickstarter campaign that he ran. Got the money. Now he's making his dreams come true. Please welcome Eddie Ift. Thanks for having me, Joe. Hey, Eddie. Hi, Joe. You couldn't sound less well, happy to be here. I know this sucks. You know what, though? I do so not like I do so many podcasts, but I do do so many podcasts now, and I've realized that speaking of success. It's such an oversaturated market, and you go on them, and unless you, like, crush it every time, people just get sick of hearing you. So I'm like, every time I'm talking, I'm like, these people have all heard me, and they're like, they don't want to hear me again. I'm sick of you already. Yeah. (laughs) And so you can do, like, do you know Miss Pat? I know who she is. I've never met Miss Pat. I had Miss Pat on my podcast. She killed so hard that every other podcast called her and wanted to do hers. And she went on and she did like a run of like 10 podcasts and just crushed it. Uh-huh. And now she should step away. Right. Because it can only like I used to go on radio, you know, when you're trying to sell tickets, you go on and you put on an act and you perform. But podcasts are like more honest and truthful. And I, uh, I purposefully designed this podcast to not have to, ha- to to not put, apply any pressure to the funny aspect of it. Right. I didn't want there to be any emphasis. on But funny. shouldn't we be funny because we're comedians? If you're naturally funny, you're naturally funny. If yeah. you're not, that's okay, too. I, I really wanted this. I was a huge fan of talk radio 
when talk radio first, or where, well, when, not when it, it first existed, came out, but when it was still a thing that existed. Uh, and I mean like traditional talk radio. Like NPR type stuff. Yeah. Uh, even more stripped down than NPR, like the AM radio, like, hey, callers, welcome to the Jack Torrance show. We're going to be talking healthcare for the next two hours. You know, like those. Yeah. Ju- I yeah. used to love it. I used to call those. I used to call in too. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, so when I started this podcast, that's what I wanted to sort of, I see. Pay homage to. Like, I just wanted it to be an honest discussion. I figured, oh, it'll probably be entertaining since I'm a comic and, and then the guests are always comics. But I think it doesn't have to be. No, no offense to you, and I don't mean this to you, but I mean that kind of, that kind of uh, medium that exists. It's very narcissistic if you think about it. Oh, yeah. It's just somebody who goes, I'm very interesting, and my discussions are interesting, and I think other people should listen to my discussions. It's funny you say that. It's because that's one of the reasons that I let so much self abuse into the podcast. Like, there's a, I, I'm very critical of myself because I never want somebody to think I'm taking myself too seriously. You know? I don't know if it's taking yourself too seriously, but the fact that you and I are sitting here talking, then we're going to la- put it up on the internet for a bunch, for hopefully lots of people to listen to, is like. Who the fuck do we think we are? No, I agree. We did a whole episode about ego once. Especially since nobody's asked us to do it. Yeah. Not like we've been hired to come to a comedy club. We did a a whole episode about ego, and that's almost all I talked about the entire episode was like (laughs) the fact that I'm even talking into a microphone about this topic of ego is so egotistical that I think I deserve for you to like listen to this. Podcasts are the arrogance. Well, but here's the thing. That's another reason... Uh, that I tried to make this podcast in the with, with the structure that I did because I find nothing more arrogant than two unknown people. It's one thing if known people do it, mm. but two unknown people sitting in a room uh, that have no point to the discussion that are literally just well, talking. N- not about just their that. Day. Like I used, I loved when. Remember when Seinfeld and uh, Chris Rock and Louis C.K. and Ricky Gervais did that HBO show where they sat around and talked. Yeah. Or Paul Provenza's green room, like where it's like famous comedians all sitting around talking about comedy. Yeah. They're talking about comedy mostly. And that's great. They know comedy. They're specialists in comedy. I want to hear. And usually like comedy fans or people that are comedians or want to be comedians. That's what they listen to. But I just find it funny <laughs> that I'll go on a podcast, even like Rogan's. I go on Rogan's and people love Rogan and his podcast is in so much demand. Yeah. But like, who are we? Like, Rogan has an expertise in a lot of areas, but me, uh, I wouldn't say I have expertise in it. Like, I'm not qualified in anything. No, yeah, I know. And yet I go on and talk. And But your podcast has, a, there's a format to my it. My podcast, we try to make it funny. That's what I, but then, and like, that's what I'm saying. Like, like I'm talking about the guys that literally just sit and, and go back and forth about what they did that day. And it's like, dude, I don't know you. Right. But I don't give a shit what you did today. But I talk about something. But I think and this is me putting myself down. I l- think like, yeah, there's tons of those. And, and I have fans that send me their podcast. I'm like, why would I want to listen to your podcast? <laughs> and I can't imagine people wanting to listen to my podcast. And I think like famous comedians look at us like, you know, like the Seinfelds of this world. And they're like, what are those guys doing? doing (laughs) i know i know it's so funny to me that like i have a podcast but like Patton oswalt doesn't have a podcast Mm. it's like well why do i have one Patton doesn't need one (laughs) yeah exactly i just spilled coffee on my shirt did that ruin your night it it fucks me up i this is bothering me will that dry clear 
Yeah. No, it won't. It'll dry brown. I got to wear this shirt out tonight. Why? You, you, you have a suitcase behind you. You change shirts. Or did you bring a perfect number of shirts for every... You did that's that. That's kind of how I roll. Uh, that's called OCD. Yeah, no, I have OCD. I'm not denying it. Listen, Eddie, I'm going to need you to talk for a second while I get a rag and blot this stain out. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not joking. Well, I mean, I can bring the mic into the bathroom Yeah, take here. the mic in the bathroom. It's only a foot away. Uh, We're in the smallest hotel room in the entire... History of the world. Yeah, um, let's, which, which is a beautiful way to, to segue right into our topic for today. Had anything in your life, right now Eddie and I are on tour in Scandinavia. Uh, we're also with Carmen Lynch. She's not here, but I'm going to hopefully get to do an episode with her as well. Um, but we're, the three of us are touring Scandinavia. and uh, You'd think if you saw our hotel room that we're on a train. Did anything make you feel less successful than when you opened the door to this? It just put me right. It's just like this is exactly where you are. In this business. No, see, because I, I, I actually think I have decent self-esteem. And I will, uh, when I see something like this, I'm like, somebody needs to get fired. Like, this But nobody's going to get fired. No, in fact, uh, <laughs> in fact <laughs> That's my point. I called my agents to do something about it and nothing was done. Yeah, that's my point. They told me it would all be taken care of. <laughs> yeah. The sure. only excuse I give is that it's, uh, it's just Monday morning there right now. So maybe something's being taken care of. By the I time, mean, no, it's not Monday morning there. In Australia, it is. My in, Australia. in Australia. Yeah. yeah. By the time they take care of it, we'll be out of this hotel and into the next hotel. This, but I mean, uh, I, I do set a standard for myself. I, that's one thing I'll, I'll say that I say, and I'm segueing into your, into your show topic. We already segued in. We're oh, in, baby. I set a standard for myself of how I like to live, and I pretty much demand it all the time. I did not get it this time. Uh, yeah, no, and, and I, I've walked out of comedy clubs. I've, I will walk out on money for like respect, like out of like respect for myself. And there are times when I'm desperate, you know, like I can remember times when I needed the money, but I just can't let somebody shit on me like that. Well, by the way, let me just say a positive thing. The people we're working for are very good people and, and it's a very nice tour. Sure. It's just not a good hotel. And it's not a shit And it's hole. just this hotel. It's just, yeah, the other hotels were fine. And by the way, guys, we're not being divas. Uh, like, and, it, and it's also, we're not in like a shithole. We're it's in, just it's in the hole. old New York City apartment, or the studio apartment. I can sleep in my bed, cook my food, take a shit, jerk off, answer the phone, and, and shave and shower at the same time. Who had that joke when yeah. you know you're in a small apartment when your microwave is your clock? Who, who had that joke? Who has know. that joke? Larry Bubbles joke. Brown has the great joke where, uh, do you know Larry Bubbles Brown out of San Francisco? He's done Letterman. Yeah, I know who he is. I never met him. but Great guy. He, he has a joke where he says, um, my apartment's so small, the walls are so thin that I can hear my neighbors having sex and they can hear me masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Um, yeah, it's, I, I, I hear you. Well, the, this is a good first area of the success discussion is the sort of personal standard because i think that's where it starts for everybody i think you know obviously whatever career path you go on you know we all dream of finding success in that field but we're all sort of you you go in willing to eat a lot of shit in the beginning because you're just you feel lucky you f i remember the first comedy gig i ever got paid for i got 40 dollars to drive two hours from pennsylvania to atlantic city uh, uh, to perform in the afternoon behind 
a liquor store that was open. Oh boy, near near a muddy thing of was that water. your first paid gig? That was literally my first paid gig. And when I tell you, I felt like a king. A king. Yeah. It was the greatest day of my life. Oh, I know the feeling. I drove to uh, Maysville, Kentucky, from Pittsburgh. This might have been my second gig, but this was like my first like feature gig. Like I wasn't, I wasn't being. I didn't MC. Right. And I drove because I was like the house MC at this club in Pittsburgh. But I drove to Maysville, Kentucky, which was about eight or hours, eight eight or ten hours, right, for a hundred dollars, and uh, one show. And uh, I was so excited, and I think I told every single person I met that I was a professional comedian. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what it is. In the beginning, you almost look at it like, I feel like those early gigs where you're like, oh, I drove five hours to get 75 bucks or whatever it is. You know, I feel like you look at it as like, it's a fun trip. And on top of it, there's this bonus that I'm getting paid to do a thing I really want to do. Well, it's weird because all the people I know as comedians, this is going to sound very vain or uh, not vain, uh, arrogant. I grew up in a, I'd say, upper middle class to wealthy area and um, had a college degree and actually had interviewed for jobs like high paying finance jobs in New York City. And right. I was going to go down that path. Right. And so me deciding to be a comedian, I was taking a serious pay cut. Right. And most of the comedians I met had no options. Like mm -hmm. they weren't. So. I met with a guy who was a part owner of Gotham Comedy Club when I moved to New York. And I said, you know, I can go this route or I can go this route. And he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a comedian, but I figure I'll take the day job. At, I think I was offered a job at Alliance Capital. I said, I'll take this job. I'll work here at this mutual fund company and support myself and do comedy at night. He said, you won't. Right. You won't. You'll, it, it's too hellish and, and you'll just you'll quit. You'll stop going to gigs because you'll have money. You'll have money and you'll be tired. Yeah. You'll be tired. I mean, you can't, you can't, there are so few success stories of people that like were able to coast on those fumes at night and do the comedy. And what, like, the only one I can think of is Bernie Mac. His story was like when he started out, he had a family already mm -hmm. and, or he had a daughter and a wife and, and he was, uh, he was working all day and then going to the comedy club at night and he was so unknown that he said he wouldn't get on stage till like one in the morning. They put him on like last. He'd do his set and then he'd go home and sleep for like five hours or four hours and get up and go do it all over. And that's again. why he's dead. Oh, come on. That's not why he's dead. Probably. Jesus. Sleep's important. Jesus. I don't think his death was that's sleep it. related. That was it. Uh, I, Jesus, God. I, I'll the, bet it is. You look it up. He died by sleep sleep deprivation. I don't know. Yeah, that joke upset me. Yeah. <laughs> I find that I, I found his loss to be so tragic. Yeah, sad. He was a good comic, really good comic. Great comic. But Great also comic. made, here's a guy that worked so hard to reach this like pinnacle of success and finally got it. Yeah. And I feel like he got yanked right out of yeah, it. Yeah. Um, That's so sad. I want to get back to what I was saying. The reason, though, that I was yeah, kind of arrogant. respecting the dead. No, I mean, we got Let's, it. We hit it. We hit it. Um <laughs> I, I have to now clean up my hole that I dug. What I was saying was that I, I had an option, I believed. So when comedy clubs were shitting on me, I was like, fuck you. Fuck you. I can go get to take this job. And then, I, but, but there was this, they were like, well, then go take the job. So right. I had to take their shit. Yeah. And I did take their shit in the beginning. 
And I've had this conversation with James Smith, our mutual friend, comedian. Mutual Ma- fun comedian. Mutual. Many times, James and I have discussed this about, because we kind of come from similar backgrounds, of you get shit on so much in this business that then if you don't have a meteoric, meteoric rise to success immediately, you are almost abused. And it's like an abused child. Yeah. Then you begin to accept abuse, give abuse, and you're you're dysfunctional then. Whereas these people that have these meteoric rises to success, everybody's like, they're so nice and they're so this and they're so Yes, because they weren't abused. Right, right. Well, I think that goes I think that works in a positive and negative on both sides of that coin. On the I think there's a positive to taking the abuse, which is appreciation. That appreciation sure. does grow. The the negative side to meteoric success is is uh, um, t- taking everything for granted and just thinking, well, this is how this works. I'm owed all of this. I deserve all of this. Right. And it's like there's never that that sort of thing of you know that sort of humble humility. Not never, but it's it's harder to find. But um, what I think is interesting is I talk about this same thing all the time. I call it slave mentality. I say you get into this business, you're you're whipped into having slave mentality. Mm-hmm. You're being told, take what we give you. Yeah. This is as good as you deserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll, you'll eat the shit. You'll kiss the ass. You'll take the abuse. Um, and then that carries over. And then suddenly, you, I'm sure you found yourself in this position at times. You find yourself where you go, oh, wait a minute. I'm allowed to complain about this thing I don't like. And they'll actually say, we're sorry it should have been done properly. Do you remember the first time you realized that? Like, I was so scared. To I haven't ever... yet. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I, I don't do it a lot, but I mean, I'm, th- there was a time where I was absolutely petrified to ever put down any of my stipulations, to ever say, this is what I need. I still have probably, like, and I tour, my touring's not done like the United States much. It's mostly international. And where I play sometimes in theaters and big places. And my rider is still like, he needs two bottles of water. Right. You know, and they'll tell me whenever I go places, they're like, oh my God, sometimes, you know, they think I'm something special and they're like, can't believe you're here. And I've had them say, and I can't believe your rider is so simple or I can't believe. And I'm like, really other, they're like, oh my God, do you know what we went through with this person and this person? And, I'm just like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. Yeah, I, it's cr- like I remember when I did at midnight. Um, they were very, they were very nice, and they 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 sent this thing of questions, this email questionnaire to me, and the questions were like, "Is there anything you need in the green room? Is there anything you like? Any foods you prefer? Any drinks you prefer?" And I, dude, so you mean they acted professionally? Yeah, exactly. And I'm so used to that not happening. That I literally was like, uh, I don't, I don't know, um, vegetable, yeah, some vegetables, yeah, yeah. I guess, coffee, is that yeah. cool? Like, I didn't even know how to, do, because it's, it's just never happened. Um, it didn't happen for me in the United States when I went to Australia. My agents are so good in Australia. It's weird. I always tell people, uh, in America, I've been through. I'm probably on my tenth manager in eight, <laughs> nineteen years. Who are you with now? Uh, I am with, I can't even remember. No, <laughs> I'm with, I really like my manager now. I'm with Joe Malosh. Um, Who's Joe Malosh? It's called Arson House. And um, 
he uh, he was originally with Live Nation. And oh, cool! Now, he's a great guy, and I really like Joe. I feel like we're, I probably met we're, him. Before. We're friends, and uh, he does a great job. I I've liked managers before, and had like shit things happen. Like I was at Mosaic, my manager quit the business. I was at AMG, Mike Ovitz's company, my manager quit the business. So it wasn't that I was always firing people, but I've never really had people like dote all over. I went to Australia. I've had the same agent for the last 10 years. And he, he's a good man. I, I, I know him. He's a miracle worker. He's great. He's incredible. Yeah. He's, if he came to America, he'd be the top agent in America. He's really and every great. person you meet in America that knows him. Cause they all do too. They're like, Oh, I love him. I love him. He's the fucking greatest guy in the world. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I like that guy a lot. Um, he, his name's Artie Lang. Let's mm-hmm. give him due credit here. Fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, I've 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 been up and down the management road a few times, and I'm I very 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 much like my manager right now as well. Uh, she's really wonderful. She was my manager. <laughs> she was at one point, <laughs> and she left the company. I loved her. I thought she was great, but she left the company I was with. That's happened to me a few times. It's like, terrible. I had a manager. I had one manager who stopped managing. Yeah, it's who terrible. was just like, yeah, I'm not managing anymore. I'm still going to work in the business, just in another field, uh, and he didn't manage anymore. I've had agents that jump from one company to another and then things slowly fall apart because this suddenly you're at this company with one guy and everybody else is like, who are you? You know, like to you. as But the in America, I, mean, I don't think the agent or manager really matters. I think in America, it's really you. Well, I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. I think I think the agent and manager, I think that idea. I, I really hate when comics go doesn't matter they all suck it's like no they don't all suck there's a few really amazing ones Mm. and it took me i'm not shitting on any previous representation because i i some of the representation relationships i've had in the past that ended were certainly i had fault in it too like i'm not acting like oh you know everybody sucked but i will say it took me a very long time to figure out the right combination i think a lot of the time it's not working, and that's that's that falls on the shoulders of both parties. It's it's what you're delivering, and then it's what they're doing with what you're delivering. They can't do anything sure. if you're not giving them the tools to work. Oh, with. sure, but but they also have to use. They have to then take that stuff and be innovative. There's there's so many elements to it. It's like a marriage, and there so many things have to happen for it to really be powerful and work, and you know all the elements come together, and and it has to do like right place, right time, a lot of luck. A lot of hard work, a lot of belief in you from them, a lot of hunger from them. Because I've been with managers who are, you know, have the biggest names in the business also besides me. And it's like, why would you ever do my deal that's going to make you, you know, thousands of dollars when you're going to do their deal that's going to make you millions of dollars? Right. So why would you waste time with me? Right. And yeah. And but I've seen how that happens, too, because I've been on that side, and I don't want to name names or anything, but I've seen managers who have the biggest clients in the business and dote all over them and do everything for them. And I'm not saying they're bad man. They might be the best manager in the world, but for some reason or not, their clients leave them. Right. And then they're empty handed and they're like, shit. I, yeah, I, I won't name names either, but I witnessed that happen and I, I, things fell apart quickly. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, it was very sad. Um, and it was, it was particularly sad because they were, they were very fair and good managers to all their clients, Right, but they just 
it was a hard financial hit. Like it's yeah. tough, man. It's like it's like it's the equivalent of like as a comic, you're on you're on like a successful sitcom or something, and then all of a sudden after six seasons yeah. it's done. And it's like, hey man, that uh half a million or million bucks a year or whatever isn't coming in anymore. No. What are you gonna and do? And I I've seen it because my sister's on that side of the business. Oh, she is? Yeah, and I've seen her lose clients and they get uh the clients get very upset. Or I mean she gets very upset about the clients because and I get to see all the hard work she puts in. Sure. And so I get to see both sides of it. And it's really sad when they lose. Yeah, because it is. It's losing that chunk of money and losing that, you know, you're like, oh, my God, I, you know, thought this was going to go on forever. And sure. that's why in this business you can't count on anything because it can all go away <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah, you have to be you have to be very careful with your mind. I feel like, you know, what's so funny is I, I used to think that that was a thing that was very exclusive to the entertainment business or the sort of self-starter, self-employed business. I feel like that's everybody now. I feel like everybody, job security, jobs are so are such a, a commodity at this point. Uh, like job security is such a rarity at this point. I feel like everybody out there in any successful period of their career in any field feels like it could go away at any second. I totally disagree with that. Really? Yeah. I think those gold watch days are over. No, I totally disagree because I'm friends with a lot of people that are in the like normal world and I'm amazed at their kind of entitlement that they like because we come from that. I don't know where my next dollar is coming from. And our entire life is spent hustling, hustling, hustling. We hustle probably 90% of the time, work 10% of the time, perform 10% of the time. And so we're hustling so much. Now, people with a commission-based job, that's there's no security in that. But I'm talking right. about somebody that gets a pension, that gets this, that gets the benefits, that gets all these packages. But And then they lose their job. They go get unemployment. Like, we lose... We don't work for three months. We don't get unemployment. We can. Yeah, but I've never had. It's, I tried to do it. I tried to do it because somebody was like, what are you doing? Just take it. I, I know a lot of actors do it. Yeah, like they were like, like when, when I was writing for the Pete Holmes show and when it ended, somebody was like, you know, you can get unemployment. Oh, yeah. After a job like that. Yeah. And, but if, but you, if you're strictly a stand-up comedian and you're off for a month, you can't go collect unemployment. Um, You can collect it if you, I think, if you do like a commercial, you could, or like one day of acting on something. It's weird, like how how easy it is to qualify for it. Getting it is a whole different story. I would never do that. I mean, I make enough money that... I have to manage my money correctly. Well, but, so do I, Eddie. But I mean, don't no, make no, it sound I like I'm. No, here. I don't mean yeah. that. I, I, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't mean it like I that. I'm just, I'm just. I'm just saying you. that. But these, like, I have friends with, like, make tons of money. As soon as they lose their job, you know, they do go get unemployment and then look for another job, get their other job. But they have that buffer in between, and they act like it's the end of the world. And I'm, I have to always tell them, I'm like that end of the world you're feeling. I feel that every day. Yeah, well, there is there's definitely truth to that. It's a uh, but here's the thing uh where I do feel bad for them. They're so much more at the mercy of somebody else. Uh we're at the mercy of people to employ us, but we're able to generate so much more on our own. There's things you can do as a comic, particularly as a comic. Um you if you had to, you could figure out a way to produce your own live shows and like make some cash or do a door deal or, or like 
really put a lot of effort into like making videos and trying to drum up attention online and have that lead to we have we have more options to make something happen when you're strictly at the mercy of I do this type of job for this type of company and these type of companies aren't hiring and now I have to go get unemployment that's a tough position man you're it's so little money it's like $400 a week it's pathetic you can't live off of it you just can't um you don't know Jason from my show What's that? Jason lived off unemployment for two years. Well, I mean, you can live off of it if you're like going to live like a college kid. You know what I mean? But you can't live off of it like if you, you know, if you're like a, a guy with a family, you're right, fucked. Right. But um, but here's what happened when I tried to do it. I went, I got approved, and I was like, because the writing gig ended abruptly, and then I didn't have road dates. Right. Right. Up. So right. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to just collect this until my road stuff picks up again. Uh, why not? So I went and I got approved. I never got one check because it was so complicated. Attaining the check was so fucking complicated. It's like using healthcare. Dude, they send you a thing every week. You got to fill it out. If you make any money at all that week, it, you know, you have to report it. You have to be like, I made $60 this week doing a stand up show. Yeah. Well, why didn't, what's wrong with that? Why isn't that continuing? Because that stand up, it doesn't work like that, and you only do the one. And I was just like, "Fuck it!" I never got one it, check. It's and I, funny it. I we're talking it. about unemployment now because you're talking about like probably the problems with unemployment are that the 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 uh, the entry level to it is difficult. You're saying to like get into unemployment, but then when you figure it out, there are people that just milk that system for so long. And I I believe in I'm I'm I have socialist mind thinking where I'm like I totally believe in unemployment. I believe in taking care of people and things like that, like a social safety net. But uh, but I also see the abuse in it, too, you know. Well, the funny part is I didn't think getting in was hard. I think the sustaining of it is hard. I don't know. Who's it got seems, the goddamn seems time? seems like there's people that have really, really figured that out. That's like a job. That's your job is, like, figuring out Maintaining how to maintain the unemployment. It takes e it took so much effort that yeah, I was like, yeah. I'm not going to take this free that's like, money. That's like me with healthcare. I When I go to the hospital and try to get something done when I'm sick, there are so many hoops to go through that I just go to urgent cares or whatever. Yeah. I just pay out of pocket for everything. Yeah. Just here's the fucking money. Can I not fill out a 15-page questionnaire yeah. right yeah. now? I just had an MRI recently, and I just went to a place. Uh, my chiropractor wrote me a prescription, and I went, and I just gave them $400 cash. I'll tell you, dude, you know, with healthcare, talk about, like, the simple things in life which healthcare is not simple, but I honestly felt like I, like once again, the richest man in the world because I finally had healthcare. I didn't have healthcare for seven to 10 fucking years. Jesus. Dude, it was like, it was a very long time. I did not have healthcare. Well, I'll tell you this. I've had healthcare. I finally for the got last, it. So for excited. the last 20 years, I've had it. And I don't think I've ever used it because of the hoops you have to go through. I mean, because I remember one time using it, I stepped on a piece of glass in a bar. Okay, I'll tell the truth. I was jumping on a bunch of bottles. Don't ask me why. Right. And one of them broke, went through my foot, was drunk, went to the hospital. You were barefoot jumping? No, it went right through my shoe. Jesus. And I uh, went to the hospital with my drunk friends, and they took me to the, you know, into the room, took my shoe off. They were going to stitch it up, but then they actually used um, super glue. Like to to fix the hole in my foot, the puncture wound, oh, and um, it's great. like a medical grade super glue. And um, so they do it, 
And I had insurance, and I gave them my insurance card. And the next thing you know, just droves of paperwork came to me about you didn't call your primary care physician, uh, even though it's after you need to call him. He needs to refer you. I'm like, I went to the emergency room. You still have to call between this hour. You yeah. fall. So they just kept sending me bill after bill after bill. And I, and it was like to get super glue on my foot ended up costing me $1,500. Yeah, it's it's fucked up. <laughs> it's crazy. When you I when I first got I don't use it a ton. When I first got it, I used it like crazy. When you first get healthcare after not having it for 10 years. Yeah. Uh it's like when you first move to Hollywood. Yeah. It's like you line up all the meetings in yeah. that first like yeah. month. You're like, "I am a success." Yeah. I'm going to see the skin guy, yeah. then yeah. the foot guy. Yeah. I got everything I was ever worried about checked out. And then I found out that I'd fatty liver. Great, awesome. I uh, always say I do that when I when I travel overseas to countries like this. We're in Denmark right now. And I save up my injuries for this because, yeah. like, I'm in Australia half the year. I go in there, and the hospital experience is just amazing. Actually, I should go get checked out while I'm. You there. should go right I'm, now. I'm in pain right now. I everybody. We went out last night and drank. We sort of christened the ship, uh, the tour tour ship last night, and. Had the craziest, the most appropriate, we're in Denmark. It couldn't have been more appropriate. We were wandering around the city in Denmark uh, at midnight trying to find a good bar. Eddie hears music. He goes, that sounds awesome. We walk <laughs> down an alley to follow the music and end up, it literally looked like the scene in National Lampoon's European vacation when they're at that beer festival. It was like this tent. There's girls in those outfits with the pigtails. We're drinking liter-sized mugs of beer. The only shots they had were Jägermeister. We meet these, like, Danish men. Like, they're... We played a game where you hammer nails into a log. Stumped. Into a stump. It was the most fun, stereotypical <laughs> night you could ever have in Denmark. It's it was funny awesome. because I don't like to go out and party unless it's like, that can happen. Yeah. And I just, like, I have a nose... I just, like, smelled it. I was like... I think there's something going on there. And all of a sudden, I'm like, let's party. Yeah, I remember turning to you at one point during it and going, how was I thinking of not drinking tonight? I'm an idiot. It was the most fun drinking I think I've possibly ever had. Uh, and then we went to a nightclub, and the nightclub had all these weird sex pictures everywhere, but it wasn't a sex club. I got locked in a stairway, like hostile. Yeah, yeah, and he got locked in a stairwell. Uh and I was on. I was walking onto the dance floor with Carmen, not to dance, just to walk onto the dance floor. And I just fell down. I was so drunk. My hip is swollen <sighs> right now, and my <laughs> thumb to, hurts. Go bad. to the hospital. Use yeah. use their socialized medicine. That's that's what I was getting at. Uh, now here's the thing with success. There's a there's a turning point that happens, and this is the the sort of interesting or most interesting aspect of it to me, at least. Um, there's a turning point that happens. I feel that everybody, again, this is more prevalent in the entertainment business, but this probably applies in most work uh, environments. I feel there's a point that everybody comes to. It's a fork in the road. And you make a decision. It's usually around like the six or seven year mark, I feel like. You make a decision and you say to yourself, I'm either going to be the guy that has ethics and that takes the lumps that come along with those ethics, whatever they may be, financial lumps or walking away from gigs, as you talked about, or not being so cutthroat that I 
don't get a lot of stuff because the other person will then cut my throat. Uh, or you go the other way and go, it's about my success. That is the most important thing in the world and nothing else comes before that. And I feel like I'm not back patting myself, but I definitely didn't go the success is the most important thing. I, I said success will come if I follow the pure road here. It'll eventually come. And eventually, eventually is now, you know, we're now we're at the, we're at like the 13 or 14 year mark. So I don't know. Who knows if it'll ever. I think it's not. I have a theory on that. I think about this a lot. And that is. I think if you're immensely talented, like if you're the most fucking talented guy in the world, it's naturally going to happen. Like it's right. going to happen. Like you just it can't not happen. Like Chris Rock. It right. was just inevitable. He's undeniably like hysterically funny or like a Chappelle or something. But, right. you know, it's going to happen. Now, everyone else that doesn't have that, you know, magic, magic, magic gift, because we're all funny. If you've made it this far, you're funny. Um, in that sense, I always believe that the this is my weird theory, that the most successful people possibly are the most insecure people, because really? I think that their drive because you have a certain level of drive. And what you're saying is certain things you won't do because of ethics, because of principles, because whatever it is right? where they won't, because it's almost like a drug. They need the fame. They need it. They need the fame, the success to, to placate their, their pain and their insecurity. Right. And their need for significance. So they will push forward and crush anything in their way, step on anyone, do whatever it takes. And it it's and I've talked to friends about that in other uh, professions, and they say that happens in theirs also. Well, I yeah, I think you know I have a sort of a similar theory. Uh, I always say this that a lot of people, excuse me, a lot of people that are successful don't truly deserve the success. Uh, they it, ha- it, it I mean it's just true. It just happens on a fluke for a lot of people. And can you stop talking about Aziz? Okay. <laughs> I didn't say it. You said that. I'm, I'm, oh, what's he going to do? I'm friendly with him. Of course you are, <laughs> kiss ass. <laughs> uh, I, uh, the, uh, That'll come back to haunt me. And that also could be a reason that I have the moderate amount of success that I have because I don't pull punches. I actually... I'm pretty honest and truthful about who I like and who I don't hey, like. You're a guy that shoots from the hip, Eddie. And that, we all say it about you. That's, no, that's you might not say it, but have I? Have I, have I ever? I'm not a fake at all. No, I'm, you're not. I'm pretty you're honest. Not. I'm breaking your balls a little bit. And and but my point is, it probably gets back to people. I do that. I talk shit in my act about certain comics. I, it probably I, gets I, back I, to I have, people. I have on my last album, I shit on Kathy Griffin. I currently have another joke where I. Where I oh, she's a tough one to shit on. Like she's going to affect your career, but like, well, you know, I, I'm not saying. Well, Aziz isn't going to affect your career. You never know. Anybody can affect your career. Right. So I was tweeting once about Jenny McCarthy, like being really sarcastic about how funny I thought she was. And somebody texted me in the business and they said, are your tweets about Jenny? Are you being really supportive? Are you trashing her? And I said, no, I'm making fun of her. I saw her comedy special. I didn't like it. And they said, you should watch, man. They were like, look, I... You know, it's funny what you're saying, but you should watch because one guy knows one guy and he worked for her. And, and then that's and I've kind of 
had that happen. I've I've opened my mouth in mixed company before. Sure, so have I. And shit on somebody, and people have been like, "Well, no, that's not true. That person is actually very, you know." Yeah, I've done that too much, probably. And I know that there are some really, really successful people that don't do that, and I attribute a lot of their success to them not doing it. One of the best things I ever heard about success. I, I got it. By the remind way, remind me to get back to my. By point. the way, my thing about Aziz was just a joke, and that's the joke I was making. But I thought it was nice good. cover. Well, you nice cover. You didn't let me then climb out of that and go back to the joke and do it again. Oh, uh, what was the joke? I was gonna then God say, but I used him as an example because it's obvious he's not he's not talented, <laughs> and and you you ruined it. Sorry, it was gonna get it's really still funny. funny. We got two laughs oh, out of it. God, we got a double laugh. Remind me to go back to my point. My before theory. you do, I just need to mention Mark Marin because he gets very upset when I mention him on anything. And then tweets me and yells at me or something. So, uh, so he's going to tweet you now? Yeah, I'll get a tweet. Like, no, he. Are you he, guys friends? No, he he doesn't like me at all. Um, he's he go he's mad at me about one of my uh, one of the guys that works for me. Uh, apparently, uh, asked him to uh, come in to our show at the live podcast show and said something like, "Hey, come in. We, there's a tranny on stage with with its cock out." And Mark was with his niece, and he was upset that the guy did it in front of his niece. Oh, okay. But the guy didn't know that his niece was with him. So it was like a miscommunication. Okay. And uh, and they got in an argument over it, and Mark was trying to pull me into the argument. I'm like, hey, this is this is your beef. I, I'm out of this one. Uh, internet beefs are tough. Uh, I, I, I find them hysterical because it's such like <laughs> the stuff that goes on the internet. It's like. I don't know. It's it's kind of bullying. And, it's definitely bullying. And it's like you wouldn't do that to my like I, I was not involved in. This. I'm not this saying Mark. No, no, I'm not a bully. Exactly. What people what people then jump on and do. Yeah, like, exactly. Like stuff. I said on the radio the other day because I went through the whole thing. I was on Rogan's show and I I expressed opinions about Anthony Cumia that that his fans were really pissed off about and uh, they the shit they were tweeting at me like I thought it was funny. Because it's people being like, you fucking Persian cunt. You yeah. Know, like, it was making me laugh. But I said on the radio, I was like, I fully get now why there's such a backlash about internet bullying with kids. I was like, I can't imagine how, like, a 13-year-old could handle, handle that. that. Yeah, like, yeah, it I, would be the worst thing I ever. agree, but fucking but, toughen up. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying, like... If I was 13 and didn't know any better, you would think that this is the what the world thinks of me. You have such a small view of the actual world. Right. It, it, I, know, I, I see that, too. But I also believe, like, because I, I don't like when I open up my email or my Twitter and there's people bashing me. But my reaction is it's not like, oh, stop it. It's say it to my face so I can fucking punch your fucking head in. And so mine is like in life before the Internet it was mostly like you can you can look at this person and they're not going to say it to you. You're better with somebody saying it online. You don't want you don't want people saying it to your face. You don't want to be fist fighting people. Yeah, I do. And then but, getting arrested. Yeah, I do. You do. But, no, you don't. Yeah, I do. But my if you want to. I know you want to. I'm saying it's my not point is it's not going to happen. They are not going to do that. I got to get back to my point. No I one's going to do that. Goddamn things to say. Okay, go ahead. One was after you said. I want to talk about punching people. We can still talk about it. One was, but God, I forget the second one. The initial point I was making was people, certain people get successful on a fluke. Okay. And even people that don't get successful on a fluke, but people that, that get it all very, they become 
a lot of successful people become like like the dying emperor. Like you'll have to pry the scepter out of my hands before anybody sits on my throne. You know what I mean? Like they get like that mentality. I think a lot of famous people function like they're like they're like uh, they're like FBI rats, like mob and snitches. You know what I mean? Like because they know it's a sham and they know that they've stepped on so many people to get there and they know that they've stolen and taken so much from so many people that they're, they, they shouldn't be there. So they're constantly living oh, yeah, their yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. Like Tony Soprano, like kind of looking over the shoulder like I might get killed. Oh, yeah, minute, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So I think that's why they act like complete, a lot of them act like complete assholes. And then there's also truly talented people that are successful that act like complete assholes because how do you not, when you get pampered yeah. 24 hours yeah. a day, you just, you lose sight of, that's why I always said, or I always thought, there's always like to me a perfect level of success that I strive for. Like my favorite band is Bad Religion. Their level of success is what I would like to have as a comic. You tour the world, you do the big festivals, but but you're not fucking, you know, my, system of a down. My pressure isn't on you. You know what I mean? And then when you do you do your venues, you do you do thousand five hundred seats. My friend just told me he saw Bad Religion here in Denmark. Really? Yeah. Like now? No, no, no. He came oh. here though. He's like, you'll love Copenhagen. I went there to see Bad Religion. They're my favorite band in the world. Really? But yeah, but I mean, my point is, like, you know, you go. If I always say all the time, if I could, if I could sell out five hundred seat, you know, uh, sweat box rock venues for the rest. That's it. That's that's you, all I want. You say that because I said that, and then I did it, and then I wanted more. I was like, if you could do that everywhere you go, you don't think. Well, that's the thing. I did it in one area, and then I went. Now I want to do it in this area. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm in Scandinavia because I wanted to open a market. I went. Oh, you know, and I went to India. I'm like, let's see if I can do the same thing I did in Australia. Let's see if we can recreate that in other places and have more, more, more because I grew up in capitalism where you can't be happy. You can't be content unless you have more, more, more. Right. And I think when I worked in England, I left America about six years into comedy, went to England to work. And when I went to England, I got there and my agent said, here's your schedule for the next three months. And I went, you mean I, every night of the week I have gigs? And he said, yeah. And I go, and that like, I don't need to call people on the phone or show up do the gig take your money and leave and i went they're gonna pay me for all these and he was like yeah and i went and i didn't know what to do with myself as soon as that happened because i went and did the gigs then i had all day i didn't have to hustle i didn't have to network i didn't have to kiss ass and i was like this is fucking incredible and i would (laughs) sit and i was like i can write jokes now and i can work on my act and i can i can do my job which is to perform and be funny and work on my act and not do all the fucking Hollywood shit that I have to do. Right. And I would be in the green room talking to comedians. And after like a few months of it, I was like, this is amazing, you know, making all this money. And I said, well, what do I do now? Like, what's the next step? And they were like, what do you mean? I mean, like, I want, how do I make more? And they were like, why? Why would you want more? You, you perform every night of the week and you get paid for it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but, I mean, how do I play the bigger venues and get on TV? And, and they were like, they, they couldn't understand. I don't understand. Why I wanted more. They were like, you're in, 
You have I don't a great understand life. it. I think it's I, I, the way I would look at that is not how do we make this bigger. I would look at it as how do we sustain this, and what do I need to do in the off season to sustain this. So the way I would want to break it up, and the way I and again, this is another reason I look to bad religion. You know, Greg Graff and the lead singer. He he's a college professor. He's a college professor, and then he tours with his band. Oh, he still goes back and yeah, yeah, he still teaches. Like he writes. He is like he's published and you know mm-hmm. the crazy shit that I don't understand. It's yeah. so smart. Uh, but anyway, he. Uh, but like I'm like I want to do that with comedy, and the way I want to do it is I want to tour for half of the year, uh, and then I want to do another thing for half of the year, meaning like write for TV or hopefully sell a show and do my own show or or do a radio thing, whatever it is. Like, and I'm always trying to figure out what. How can I break that up? So if I got into a position where it was that uniform, like here's your schedule, go make this money every night, which I kind of have with just doing the road, but it varies. It's it's not, I've never heard of anything like that. Oh, it's awesome. It was like England. England. I, I was working there during their boom too, which kind of has died because I know there might be some British people, uh, comics listening going, what the fuck? It's not like that now. It was like that when I was going there from like 2000 to 2006. Yeah, but that was big. Uh, the, Patrice was going over. A yeah, lot I was there time. with Patrice a lot. Tom Rhodes was there a lot. There were only a few Americans doing it. There were about five of us, and everybody was becoming pretty successful over there. Yeah, it was really good. And it and it, what happened to me though was, I changed my mentality and I started thinking just about the craft, and I didn't think about money because I had a decent amount of money, and I all I cared about was writing good jokes and being the funniest I could be. And then they started touring me around the world. And I started going to China and South Africa and the Middle East and all these different places. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm getting paid. I'm seeing the world. And I get to make people laugh every night. I was like, this is all I need. This is it. But then you want more. No, what happened was um, I found Australia and I loved Australia. And I liked it because I like to surf. And to be honest, um. I don't want more, and I don't pursue much. I do only what I like. Well, this is why I wanted to talk to you about this, was because, and I'm glad you said that, because I thought you were going in the direction of saying, I want more, and I was like, oh, but I'm glad that you're actually where I thought you were with this, which is somebody who you seem to be happy with your level of success. You're making a living. Of course, you're ambitious, and you and you always want to, try to make the thing better, you know, that, that's just being ambitious. That's just, that's just being somebody who believes in quality. But there's nothing about you. You're not a, you're not a guy that's going to stomp on heads to get up the mountain, you know. You're just not. Uh, and I like that about you. And I feel like I'm also not that guy, you know. And we all know people that are. We all know the head stompers. You're kind of that guy. No, I'm not. I'm <laughs> <Just> not. <joking. laughs> I, I, I wish there was a way in that moment that I could have literally – somehow thrown you under a bus on this podcast <laughs> to better myself and i didn't oh by the way that that's more i just said throw i just said throw somebody under the bus and podcast in the same sentence which will mean god knows how many tweets well like you did with kumia yeah on the broken bucket <laughs> wow I, um, anyway so but actually that's another I know you've in the past dealt with some uh, trolling or whatever. 
And I, 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 I like to talk about trolling. I, you know, a lot of people have this philosophy that you should never talk about it because then that's it, and, giving them power, yeah. it's, which is stupid. I know you've also dealt with trolling in the past, and I've dealt with it for years and years. Just being somebody that does it was already. I've had it in the recent past. I've just been doing it. I've been writing to you about Anthony Cumia, and uh, <laughs> you've been I trolling have, me. I have about sixteen different Twitter names, and uh, all of them don't like what you said on Rogan. It's, uh, it's all, but that's also another weird mark of some success that people care enough to shit on sure but that's not this here's my thing success i think in comedy is so fucked up and it's mostly the american way of thinking and success how do we view success what tv show do you have what did you create to me and i swear to god this is the truth i'm not just trying to sound all fucking you know fucking new age or anything to me success is happiness happiness is everything and I well, of course, Eddie. I mean, let's not ruin the the discussion. With, no, no, no. But I'm, with get, I'm a, you know a nice emotional thought here. N- no, but I'm going to be honest with this. Right. I have a very happy life. I've got a great wife. Uh, I've got a baby on the way. I love my house. I love where I live. I've got great dogs. I have great family. My career. I'm happy. I love what I do. Yeah. I travel all over the world. I couldn't be happier. I surf every day. Could not be fucking happier. So when people go. How do you feel about your success? I'm like, I'm the most successful man in the world. Like, I really, truly believe that. You just did the Sam Malone at the end of Cheers. Yeah, but I'm the I, luckiest son of a bitch in the world. I am. Yeah. I swear to God, I feel I, that. And then I sure. look, because I look at, I, I don't want to name names, but comedians, and I'll have friends that want to talk about it constantly, and they're jealous of other people's success, or they want to fixate on it, or whatever it is. And when they talk about it, I'm like, ooh, I would never want their fucking horrible life. I'm so happy. I just, wow. Why would you do that? Get a whiff of that. Why would you do that? I just cut one. Uh, Oh, my God. That is thick, dude. That stinks. Wow. Don't open the window. You're going to ruin it. Let it marinate. Let it marinate. What's wrong? We're we're adults. I do that. Um, Meanwhile, I do that to everyone. I'm happy that that I finally got past that phase in my life. Like, there was a time where I was, and honestly, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty open book with stuff like this. I started taking Prozac mm-hmm. because of my anxieties and, you know, insecure. And it, it took that part of me away. I would get mad at myself. I'd be like, why can't I be happy for my friends? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, why am I? Because you I, weren't happy with yourself. Yeah. And I was always turning it about me. It wasn't that I didn't want good things to happen to my friends. I would just always use it as a mirror of myself and go, why isn't that happening for me now? And. Prozac and therapy finally helped me get through that where I don't do that anymore. And it's so nice. It's like so nice to genuinely feel happy for people. Yeah, oh yeah. And um I saw the um I went through probably a struggle with that. I think everybody goes through it. I think it's a um it's part of the process and it's part of like growing in this business. And I've seen it I, I remember one day and I sh- shouldn't say the name, but Frank Caliendo had just gotten like some major deal in in Vegas where they offered him like fifty million dollars or something. Some crazy exorbitant amount of money. And I ran into Carrot Top that day in a store in Caesars, Caesars Palace. I'm in the mall. Right. And I'm like, hey, Scott, how are you? And we're talking. And I was working over at MGM and, you know, I'm just doing, you know, whatever room I do there. And he's in, you know, Carrot Top has his own show. Yeah. I forget what hotel he Luxor or something. And it's every night and he makes tons and tons of money. I said, Did you hear about Caliando? And he goes, no. I go, he just got a $50 million deal with like Mandalay Bay or something. And he goes, 
Are you, are you kidding? And I go, what? He goes, now I'm going to have to go up on top of this building and throw myself off. And it was like he was upset by someone else's more success. And that's what I just don't want to ever get caught up in because Chris Rock said it to me once, sitting at the cellar table. I was bitching about someone, and he got like looked at me like that scowl, like I was upsetting him. Right. And he goes, you're upset about that? I go, yeah. And he goes, I go, he doesn't deserve that success. He goes, if this is bothering you now in your career, he's like, just wait. It's only going to get worse for you. Yeah, it and never. He, said, he yeah. goes, I could be mad about Queen Latifah's movies selling more than me. Right. He's like, it's never going to end. There's always going to be people getting shit that you didn't get and more than you got. Well, it's 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 the it's it's the way I try to have like a worldview. Like, I, there's always somebody doing way better and way worse. Yeah. So you got to just kind of remember, like, you can bitch a little bit, you can gloat a little bit, you can be satisfied to a certain extent, you can be ambitious to a certain extent, you can get down on yourself to a certain extent, but you just have to kind of balance that all out into the healthy sort of overall mindset of like, okay, I'm at where I'm at. It could be worse. It could be better, but who gives a shit? But I used to, I used to justify it when people would be like, why are you upset by this? And I'd be like, uh, because it's an injustice. It's in it, like when there's someone that doesn't there, cause I'd say there are people that deserve success so much. They, they work so hard and they're so funny and they're so, and then this guy that's just shit, he's fucking terrible and he doesn't get, he, or he gets everything. And they're like, there's, more injustices in this world that you should worry about right you know like there's kids in china right now working in sweatshops that don't right, belong exactly there. like if you're gonna be mad be mad like have a priority level of being upset and the last thing you should be upset about is aziz playing to ten thousand people well i remember <laughs> <laughs> yeah you shouldn't be upset about stuff like that or if a guy goes on a podcast and says a thing about a guy you're a fan of, just let it go. <laughs> just let it go, man. Uh, the uh, Yeah, I remember I just recently was watching uh, all of the uh, Dennis Miller specials. I have the box set. And I was watching like his third special, which is called, uh, I forget what it's called. But he, uh, it's the one he shot right after his first, remember he had that talk show before the HBO yep, show? Yep. That got canceled, and he does it he, right at the top. He says, like, uh, pardon me, I used to have a talk show, and now I just recently went back to being a regular asshole again, or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then he says, like, look, if losing a TV show is the worst thing that ever happens to you in this life, it's you, you everything's okay. You know, like, I forget what the punchline Patton, is. But. Patton Oswald had an amazing joke. It's one of my favorite jokes ever. He was talking about how upset he used to be by Larry the Cable Guy. Right. He's like, I couldn't see it. I'll, I'm going to paraphrase the joke because I'd fuck it up. But he said something about how Larry the Cable Guy, he's like, if you don't know him, I saw him do this joke in Australia. Patton, Patton did the joke in Australia. He said, if you don't know Larry the Cable Guy, because they probably don't in Australia that much. Right. He said, he's this guy in America. That, and he <laughs> kind of shits on him and goes, he has this catchphrase, get her done, that he says all the time. And he goes, and I couldn't stand his act. I thought it was hacky. It was this, that. And he said, and then I read that Larry the Cable Guy made $35 million. In one year, he made $17 million in merchandise alone. <laughs> he goes, and then I realized, where, where, where's integrity getting me? Integrity doesn't get you blowjobs on gold-encrusted Learjets. <laughs> he said, so for the rest of the show, I'm going to be trying out catchphrases. <laughs> yeah, he's got a great bit. I think it was in his last special about... Uh, you, uh, he, how he's like 45 year old Patton now and he's like 45 year old Patton 
is way cooler than 35-year-old Patton. Mm-hmm. And he goes, if you met 35-year-old Patton at a party and you brought up music, you know, maybe you said your favorite band was Creed or Nickelback, 35-year-old Patton would be like, you know, all those guys, man, they're not in it for the art. They just do it for the money and the pussy. <laughs> and uh, he goes, but 45-year-old Patton has realized the, the there are people out there that do far worse things for money and pussy yeah. <laughs> like dictators yeah. like warlords yeah, yeah it's such a funny i'm not doing it justice it's such a funny bit bit and premise but um and i agree with that like i that's one of those bits when i saw it i felt like i kind of learned something from it i was like yeah he's right and why do be, i get so upset if, and like, you know like yeah. it, like when we do it or you commiserate with a friend and it's fine like because the two of you are feeling that same way but when you listen to two people do it, like say you removed yourself from the situation or you heard a recording of those two people doing it, talking about someone or being bitter about somebody's success, you'd just be like, oh, this is so fucking ugly. Yeah. Like imagine if, and, and I always try to tell this to people, imagine if you sat down and you just sat across the table from two baseball players who were just, all they were doing was bitching about A-Rod's success. All you would think is, these two fucking guys need to shut the fuck up. Like they're playing in the pros. Yeah. And, it's, and, and, yeah. and no one gives a fuck. Like I used to say to people when they get mad about bands, I'm like, do you think anyone that sits down and listens to their iPod listens to it and goes, oh, I'm now I'm going to listen to the Rolling Stones. They sold 60 million tickets this year. Right. And then I'm going to listen to Arcade Fire. <laughs> Can you believe those guys only sell like, how they playing at 3,000 seats a night? Right. <laughs> Losers. Right, right. No, you're like, I like their song, and I like their song. Right. And it's that's how the general public looks at comedy. That's why... Can you shut that window now? <sighs> the fart's gone. Uh, that's why I always parallel comedy to, music. to music. Yeah. Because very- one of the greatest realizations I've ever had uh, in my pursuit of success was when I finally said to myself... I want to be like Fugazi. Oh, yeah. I used I, to like Fugazi. Yeah, I want to be like Fugazi. Waiting I, Room. Good song. Yeah. I don't want to be like Britney Spears. Yeah. And that's okay. So, like, I'm going to go down that road and try to be that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I said that. I said that in Paul Provenza's book, The Satiristas, and that came back to bite me in the ass because the example I used. Why? I don't want to mention the name. <laughs> You can read it in the Satiristas. Uh, why? Because because I said because they, he said, does it bother you that you have success around the world, but you don't have the success in the United States? And I said, well, let's face it: the United States doesn't have the greatest taste in the world. You know, if you look at our number one form of entertainment, it's WWE. Our our biggest spectator sport is NASCAR. Our biggest musicians are people like Justin Bieber, and our favorite restaurant is McDonald's. I love two of those things. Can you guess which two? McDonald's and Bieber. No, good guess. <laughs> WWE and McDonald's. Yeah. So you look at like that, like mass appeal type shit. I really do love WWE. Okay, that's great. Sorry, so but I, I lo- but lost I, a little I, respect. But but, um, but you, you can go on with your point. I'm not but, offended. But and like you look at big fucking movies that make millions and millions of dollars, and they're just shit films. And it and that's what I did to myself. And I went, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that production. And that, you named a thing in the bit. You I named the, a comedian that is that and said that about him. And I feel bad. I shouldn't have done that. Well, you could use this time to apologize publicly. Yeah, he doesn't deserve that, but I, I, (laughs) he doesn't, but I, I don't even know who it is. I feel bad about doing it because I don't feel I was right to to criticize a comic because he is that like, it's like saying, 
I only criticize the only time I ever criticize it's never over success. I will criticize somebody else who's a public figure if I think if they if I have an ethical issue with them. You know what I mean? And I don't mean and the ethical issues needs to be a little bigger than like I think the what they do stinks or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean that's not to say I don't make fun of stuff. I you know, I'll make fun of the Twilight movies and say they're shitty. You know, I, obviously that's what you do as a comic. You make fun of shit. But um, I really try not to, like, you know, I'll take a shot at somebody if, I, if I'm if i like, oh, no, they're, like, I have a reason. I have an argument that I could make against that person, mm-hmm. I feel. And I don't always make it in the dig, but I feel like, okay, if I was approached off stage and asked, why did you say that? I could say, okay, well, here's my reason. You know what I mean? Like, so it leaves me with very few people to kind of ever take shots at. Right. You know right. what I mean? It's fun sometimes. Like, we were doing it last night, and it's fun to listen to, like, bad comedy and make fun Hilarious. of it. Hilarious. But it's, uh, you know, getting upset about someone's success, I'm kind of completely over that because, and the bottom line is, I'm so happy. So I'm like, I feel right. so successful. And I, you know, I've been very close to people that are miserable, and they're super successful, and they are absolutely, like, close to suicidal. And yeah. I And I watch them, and I'm like, you but they and and they've even said but i'm so successful and i'm like only in one area of your life right you know i remember like growing up and trying to be successful i used to write down like all my goals and everything and it wasn't like career goal it was always how am i going to be successful in my family in my you know physically mentally emotionally career wise right and it was like i tried to be successful in all of those things equally and well-rounded so that it was there wasn't this like major gap in my life and i think a lot of these unhappy comedians that strive that want to play theaters and, and stadiums and and they've got to have this show and they've got i mean i've had i've had them say shit to me that's so weird like why didn't i get that or i should have had that and it's like the reason you're unhappy and the reason you're striving for all this shit is because you think it's going to fill a void it's never going to be filled because it's, it's not. All, it's all this other shit you got to do. It's not, and I think I think that's a great place to kind of close it up. It's, thank God. it's success. <laughs> I, mean, I thought you were going to talk forever. Me too. Uh, I meant thank God because I would. It's true success. True success is a balance of happiness in all areas of your right. life. It's not going to come from money. It's not going to come from sex. It's not going to come from fame. It's not going to come from any one thing. It's going to come from a balance of happiness f- through all things. So uh, you hear that, Aziz? We got <laughs> this is your war. Uh, this is okay. Some people we always ask. I always ask for a few questions and thoughts on Twitter. We got a few here. Let's let's just quickly. Oh, God. Are these going to be trolls? No, no, no. The people send actual questions. It's nice. Uh, this is from at Bone Church. Uh, why do some people feel entitled to judge success? Is success in the United States judged dramatically different than others? I think we covered that. Yeah, I, th- I, do, I do think success in the United States is based a little more on monetary success. Yeah, mon- money and profile. Uh, and I don't think that's the case everywhere else. It's a very capitalist mindset, yeah. which we discussed. And, um, and yeah, our, our nation was built on that after World War II. Right. And why do some people feel entitled to judge success? I think that's we also talked about that. It's jealousy. It's insecurity. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, entitlement. Um was Robert, this is from Norman, wait a minute, Norm, Normal Man, 1977, Normal Man, 1977, was Robin Williams a success 
Yes, absolutely. And uh, I, I would beg to differ that in a lot of ways. How do we handle it better? Well, I, look, I think he was a, I, I think I think he was a success in the way that you're talking about. I just think he got into a bad spot and fell victim to it. But see, I I've had many experiences with Robin Williams over the years, and to me, he seemed like a very unhappy person. And to me, happiness is success. And so, no, he wasn't a success because his life was, uh, and I'll never, ever criticize someone for suicide ever. Right. And uh, I don't, you know, like when people go, that's self. I won't say that's selfish. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know the pain they're going through. They go, oh, but it's selfish what they do to their family. Fuck you. Fuck you. They're the ones that have to live with the pain. Right. And I know they might be hurting other people with that, but usually people that love them understand it and can forgive them for it. So I'll never criticize anyone for committing suicide. Uh, you know, I, I don't want anyone to ever do it. And if you ever feel like it, please, you know, talk to people and get help. And, but what, what I mean is seeing Robin and how driven he was for success. And what I mean by driven is like how desperate he was for a laugh. It, and it wasn't so much of, you know, and I'm not criticizing Robin Williams right now and saying, oh, Robin was this guy that he just wanted to make the world laugh so hard. I think it made him feel good to make people laugh because sure. of the giant hole that we all have. And that's why we all do it. Sure. But I also like, I'll be honest, I really enjoy making people laugh because it makes them feel good. Right. And it makes me feel good to make them feel good. So whereas some people, I think, like the laugh because it just makes them feel good. It's not about the other person. It's a one-way well, street. Well, it's like yeah, that, that same criticism gets gets thrown at a lot of charity workers. It's, yeah. They're doing it because yeah. it's really about them. But I don't think I, – but, I, but everything you just said, I don't think that means he, he's not successful. I think he truly enjoyed making people laugh. I think he did the kind of projects he wanted to. There was never – let me put it to you this way. There was never a part of me that ever once thought he was doing it for the money. There was never a part of me. If you listen to some of his podcasts that he's been on and stuff – there's a lot of talk, though, from him about being really insecure about the movies he's doing and the parts he's doing and if he's going to get work on this. And, and, he, really? and he worked really, really hard because he was so insecure about this or that. And he was in and out of rehabs. And, right. and you know, usually addictions are attributed to unhappiness. Yeah, well, so, that's a good point. So I'm not going to chalk him up to ha successful. I'm going to some guy that's home with his wife and kids and just loving his life. That has is some no well, name guy. Uh, that's the guy to me that's happy and successful. Right. Okay. Well, then. So, so you're saying successful in some areas, not in others. Uh, yeah. He yeah, was successful yeah. as a as a comedian actor. Extremely successful. <laughs> yeah. as, as successful as you can get. But, yeah. But I I agree. Again, that balance is so important. That's that that's the thing I think we should all strive for is the balance. In, in all Look at how many friends what? we know that have died because of the unhappiness. I know. And, I know. It's terrible. Yeah, and they um, were very successful. This is from. We only have time for a couple more. Uh, Good. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you'd stop giving twenty-minute fucking dissertation answers, Jesus Christ! I'm trying to breeze through these questions. Oh, you you're, you're, told me you're going like into a, therapy session. This is like a lightning round. Yeah, I'm just. I I was just going to answer them myself. I just wanted to put this into your head subconsciously so that you stop being such a miserable human being. I'm a happy man. Uh, these. This is from Milan Rambles. Milan Rambles. If you walked away from entertainment today. Comedy music TV slash. You film. don't have to put these names in because I know you made them up. To right, act like yeah, people yeah. wrote you questions. Uh, if you walked away from entertainment today, would you consider your career a success? Uh, I think there are ways that I could, and I think there are ways that I couldn't. 
again, it's just if I walked away a truly happy man, then yes. If I walked away an unhappy, insecure man, then no. I would find problems. Uh, these days, I feel good about everything. Mine changes daily. <laughs> yeah. I hope, I hope it continues. I could continue to feel content, but uh, th th that's how I feel. Uh, this is from Clive Gulch. Clive Gulch. Uh, at Clive Gulch. Do we define our own standards of personal success, or do we just take on what is imposed by others? I think we talked about that. It's important that you do implement your own standard, and that standard, we think, should be balance in all areas and happiness in all areas. Uh, let's do two more quick ones. Um, uh, at Gary Thorne. Well, wait a minute. Where's Joel McCowan? Because two people, two people want... Okay, at Joel... At Joe the McCowan, which is M-C-K-E-O-W-N, why do comics tend to shoot down their own success? Wait a minute, what? Why do comics tend to shoot down their own success the most compared to a lot of other types of artists? Eddie just farted. Uh, maybe that's why, because we're people that <laughs> fart in the middle of serious questions. <laughs> Uh, because I think self-deprecation is inherent in comedy. It's it's a humility is endearing. Humility is endearing. Self-deprecation in, in and of itself is is a shield of sorts. It allow it 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 it's an allowance. It allows you to take shots at other things. Mm -hmm. People say, okay, he can laugh at himself, and you know. Uh, and I think y your fucked up, insecure brain is what makes you want to do comedy. You're insecure if you say, I I want to get on stage and have a million. A room full of people react with the same emotion to things I'm saying. That's insane. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it is. It's sociopathic. Um, yeah, so that's why I think. Um, and that was also what Jay, at Jay Stodds, S-T-O-D-D-S, wanted to know. And last but not least, this is from Tick In My Mind, <laughs> at T-I-C In My Mind. Is comedic success measured in numbers of laughs? Or millimeters of skin thickness. I I don't know. ask that one more time. Is comedic is comedic success measured in numbers of last or millimeters of skin thickness? Do you think she's saying like, like by how much you can take and how thick your skin is? Or I don't understand. I mean, I I could I could kind of have a hypothesis on what she's she's trying to say. I don't, I don't, yeah, okay, we can't end on that one. One more, okay. This is from Andrew, <laughs> this is a good one to end on. This is from at a Webster 84, at a Webster 84. What is success and where can I get some? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're on your own, buddy. It's within you, it's within you. <laughs> uh, Eddie, thank you for being here. This was really fun. What do you want to plug? For you. Uh, Just say thank you and plug something. Um, yeah, Listen to my podcast, Talking Shit, and also my new show is coming out in January called uh, Bingle, and Bingle will be on YouTube and on my website, eddieift.com. Follow Eddie on Twitter. Uh, at eddieift, I-F-F-T. He's a really funny guy, and he's a good man, and he's really one of my favorite dudes to kind of kick around and talk shit with, uh, which is why his podcast is called Talking Shit, because he's good at it. Um, my new album is out now. Uh, mistakes were made. The B sides, ten bucks, only ten bucks for two two discs worth of shit. Uh, you can get it on a. Uh, it's rarities from the last seven years. So you can get it on uh, iTunes, or you can get it on Amazon if you want the one star version of it. 
uh, if you would like the one-star version of the album, uh, because so many people uh, had Anthony to Kumia put fans. stupid trolling reviews. Uh, so go get the one-star version. I, I, it's, it's so funny. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, it sounds just like the other star version, uh, but it has one star. Anyway, that's out. Go buy it, please. Check it out. I hope you enjoy it. Um, what else is out there? Uh, oh, subscribe to the podcast, please. Thank you for listening. Leave us a review on iTunes if you want. You can get this podcast on there or on Stitcher or on my website, JoeDeRosaComedy.com, which is also where you can find out about upcoming live dates and whatnot and check those shits out. Uh, thanks a lot, folks. 